Hi, you're listening to Your Best with my nanny, Kathy Weckworth. Hi, this is Kathy Weckworth, Executive Director of Best Life Ministries, and you're listening to Your Best, a motivational, inspirational 30 minutes that will help you want to be your best. Hey, this is Kat Lee from Inspired to Action, and you're listening to Your Best with Kathy Weckworth. Today's topic is dealing with addiction. Listeners, today's topic is a difficult one, and right now across America, millions of people are struggling each day with various kinds of addictions. Whether it's pornography, food, shopping, gambling, alcohol, or drugs, addiction is on the rise and is overtaking lives at every turn. In a recent Facebook post, Franklin Graham, son of evangelist Billy Graham, stated this, America has a problem that's out of control, drugs. It's a major issue in every city, every town, and on college campuses across this country, even in the small town where I live in Boone, North Carolina. The death toll in our nation is equal to 9-11 every three weeks, and that's about a 1,000 lives a week. Morgues are full of the casualties. The National Institute on Drug Abuse reports that 91.8 million Americans used drugs like OxyContin or Vicodin in 2015. That's one in three Americans. It's unbelievable. The President's Opioid Commission urged President Donald J. Trump to declare a national emergency. It's going to take all of us, Republicans, Democrats, independents, working together to fight this problem. And a solution isn't going to happen without God. Let's commit to pray that God will give our national, state, and local leaders wisdom to come up with solutions and also stop the drug flow in this country. End of quote. Friends, I know about addiction firsthand. My children know. My parents and ex-in-laws know. My closest family, friends, and church congregations know because of addiction taking over my ex-husband and our three girls' lives. It wrecked havoc. When several states recently wanted to make marijuana legal, my children called me upset. My oldest said, do they have any idea what they're doing? What happens when you legalize something that wrecks lives? Have they ever had to deal with the abuse, the loss of control, the anger, the laziness, and the dwindling funds that go along with a drug addict? It just promotes you to stronger drugs. Let me stand up on a soapbox, she said, and tell them what it's like to be a kid of an addict. When we first found out about my ex-spouse's drug abuse, I asked him if he'd go get help. I volunteered to get help with him. He agreed, but he didn't follow through. Things escalated quickly from his marijuana addiction to other things, and eventually he was involved in helping run a crystal meth lab. I remember how the divorce court helped him see a counselor for a couple of sessions. The counselor stated to me, he's healed. He's fine. No more addiction. After a couple of sessions where you talk about a life Long struggle with addiction, you're helped? Wow, I believe that a lot of people would be helped if this was true. But at our house, we saw the physical proof of his addiction in his eyes, his face, and his actions. No one understood the dangerous mind of an addict and how he lied freely, acted like he was clean for pastors and good-meaning friends. But we saw the real self, the one behind closed doors. Nothing had changed. We saw it. We didn't understand it. We didn't know how to help. I must admit, I was patient at first, but after the lies and the decision to not get help, with warnings from the police, I took my children for safety and I left. I closed the door and I haven't looked back. It was about five years later when my ex-husband violently attacked my child, five years after we walked out. 
Although she survived the abuse, it took a horrific toll on my family, and once again, addiction did its best to unravel us. It was solely God who helped. He worked through others. He worked through prayers. He worked through scripture. He worked through the days that went by. I started my ministry, Best Life Ministries, and I walked away from everything I knew and loved because of an addict. I chose to do that. When the church said, you can't leave him or you don't have a job, I did. When my child went back, she was almost killed. The decision was made, and it was the right one for us. There are days when I am bitter. I have to admit it, people. I don't even understand addiction completely, and I lived with it. But I do understand the people who are hurt by it. I've only met a couple of people in my life who have actually broken free. It wasn't a three-session talk with a counselor that saved them. It was heart-changing, life-changing choices that made the impact. That and a lot of help from God. Those who broke free work diligently each day to stay free. So often people call and ask if I'll help their granddaughter who's an addict or their neighbor or their spouse. I cannot help anyone with addiction until they decide to walk away and get help for themselves. But I can help those who have been affected by it because that's my story. But for today, we will hear the inside story of a recovering addict who works day by day to stay clean. A doctor whose life was changed when he became addicted to painkillers. A man who almost lost it all, but he found his way to the other side, found his way with the help of Jesus. Friends, there is hope. Well, joining me today is Scott Abrams, married to the lovely Barb and the father of two children. Scott is a physician and a recovering addict who writes a daily blog on faith and addiction. His blog explores what God has to say about our destructive flesh. And you can find this at www.theseedsofthespirit.com. And listeners, I really want to encourage you to check into the blog. It has been just an incredible inspiration and help to me. So welcome to the show, Scott. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kathy. I'm so happy that you're here. So Scott, share with the listeners a little bit about your story and how you fell into addiction. Sure. Well, like a lot of people, my first exposure to pain medications, which was was my addiction, was, uh, you know, a legitimate surgery, a legitimate need uh, 20 years ago. And so I was exposed to you know, the pills. And I, I think that probably I, looking back, I realized I had the predisposition or the addictive personality and and the occupation, you know, to, to find these medications eventually. But but initially it was exposure to a surgery. And from the start, I just realized that I loved how they made me feel. They just, I liked the relaxation. I liked the euphoria. And uh, I loved the sleep. The sleep was fantastic. So I, I had this, you know, I had this knowledge that I, I knew how they how they made me feel, but I didn't. It didn't start then. It was in my mind. Addictive behavior didn't start then. It was it wasn't until later, and I would say residency. You know, this is you know just oh, I suppose seventeen years ago or so, or close to twenty years ago that I had the right combination of access to and and the right combination of stressors, or the wrong combination, the wrong combination of stressors and access to that. I was in this position where, oh, I'm not sleeping, I'm under the stress, I know how I can fix this, I know how I can treat this, I'm a doctor, I have access to these things, so I know what I can do, I can take these pills and I can, I can, I can use them appropriately in my mind at the time. So as a doctor, you were pretty much just going to be taking care of yourself, thinking this is going to be an easy fix, and then did oh. it get harder or harder, or what happened? 
Oh, sure. Well, I mean, there, there are, of course, a thousand lines the addict tells himself. But looking back, those were some of the first. And in fact, I know what I'm doing. I'm smart. I would never be in trouble. And I'm not an addict, goodness sakes. I had no concept in my mind of what was lurking inside me back then. Mm-hmm. So as as you were falling into this, you had no concept. So you weren't aware. I mean, were you thinking it's not ever going to happen to me? Yeah, I, th- I think you just believe that you have control until one day you don't or, 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 and of course the day you realize it is far beyond the day that you lost control, but of course, but, right. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. I'm in control. I, I, so you start out to control the thing and of course the thing ends up controlling you, but you're blind to it when it happens until, okay. yeah, until the disaster hits. Okay. So how did you keep up with the charade of not letting your family or your workplace know about the addiction? Well, sure. Well, eventually of course I didn't, right? <laughs> but, um, right. But initially, yeah, uh, it was it was of course a charade. That's a good word for it. Uh, you know, and it was my pattern of use. I um, I used pills. I think how people uh, drink, and so and, and but unlike alcohol, you can't smell it on my breath. And I never stumbled around. I never took enough to to look intoxicated. I would take a couple pills when I got a fork to relax, and then I would take uh, several more pills to fall asleep. And so when I was under the greatest influence, I was asleep. And so nobody knew the difference. And then by the time I woke up in the morning, you know, the effect had, had worn off. And so I could go about my day until I looked forward to getting off work the next day. And of course I could, I could justify it in my mind that way. You know, I wasn't eating all day. I wasn't going to work. And I think, I think, you know, every, I think every alcoholic has been through this. Hey, I'm not the guy falling down in the street. I'm not the guy crashing cars and, and going to jail. I'm just drinking at night to have a few beers and to relax. And so, Right. We use that, you know, we use that pattern of use. And if nobody really knows, it must not be that bad, right? It's not really impacting a so, lot of my life. It must not be that big a deal. Sure, of course. And and was your was your wife aware of what was happening? Was she suspicious? Would she talk to you about it? Or were you a good cover? I, you know, I think in retrospect, she would say that she could see the signs and had concerns. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're master liars and deceivers, you know, uh, hiding and and excuses and reasons why I'm tired and why I'm not. But, you know, the, the, probably the worst um, appearing I ever was was when I was actually withdrawing. You know, so when I wasn't using I couldn't. You know, that's when I probably looked the most abnormal, uh, when I was just tired and, and felt terrible. And, and But, um, you know, there's also a reason for that. I worked nights. I was an ER doctor. You know, it was, it was a tough life, and I had a, I had very good excuses to be tired. Sure. I know coming out of the same thing myself, being married to somebody who was a drug abuser. I mean, he was just, he was very abusive, period. He was an alcoholic. He was using drugs. He was running a crystal meth lab. With all of that, this is my ex-spouse I'm talking about. It was very difficult for me because he was a master at lying. I mean, Scott, I just didn't even know how great he was until I finally caught him in the lie and actually saw, wow, this is what I've been buying into. And the interesting part of confronting him was, he said to me, you know what, when you're an addict, you will do anything. You will do anything to cover, to get what you need, and to keep going in your addiction. And so if it means lying, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, no big deal. Is that how you felt? Yeah, the, the drug became God, right? So, you, again, you, so you start out to control the drug, but in the end, it, it masters you and it controls you. And at that point, you have, uh, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not, like it's not my fault anymore, it's not my point, but, but you have relinquished control. And so when that God calls you, you answer. And whatever gets in the way, that nothing comes before that, that the God of that drug. 
And so you, you have relinquished control, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to mm-hmm. get that drug. And lying to your spouse is, though you say you love your spouse, you say you love your family, you say you love your kids, you say you don't want to sacrifice your job and your spouse for those things, the reality is you live the opposite. You, you put the drug above all. And just a, a very odd question. Does it seem to you that, you know, in those moments, it's worth it as, as an addict and you're walking in it, is it worth it to just throw everything aside for that drug? Oh, wow. I have to think about that. No, you hate yourself for it. So I, I just asked an, an alcoholic a, a couple of days ago, how do you feel about the alcohol? And, and he was in the midst of his addiction and he said, I hate it. And, and I instantly knew what he meant. I, I hated the drug. Uh, I hated what I was doing. I hated myself. I didn't want to look in the mirror, but I couldn't stop. I wouldn't stop. Um, you know, we, again, we have all these lies and excuses. That, and, and, of course, you're going through all sorts of mental gymnastics to make this work in your own head so you just don't explode. But you hate it, but at the same time, you love it. And, uh, yeah, love hates a good, a good word to describe it. You, you need it. You can't live without it. But at the same time, you just love it. And, and you hate the fact that you're doing it with your wife. By the end, I knew, you know, before before life fell apart, I knew it was coming. You couldn't, uh, I, I knew that life was, I knew that I was going to lose my career, I knew I was going to lose my wife. That couldn't stop me, that knowledge. So it, it wasn't that, oh, this is worth it, I really want this. It was, I just can't stop, and I might as sure. well just keep going. Sure. So in your blog that you have, theseedsofthespirit.com, you talk about how it felt to be trapped by addiction, and I want to quote it. You said, when in active addiction, it was constant work for me to find the next pill. From the time I woke up, I started planning on how I could get that which I wanted most. Family, career, and faith all took a back seat to my appetite. I would stop for a while, but I would always knew that I would return. So I planned and schemed, spending my energies on that which I craved. End of quote. This sounds like an incredible lot of work to be an addict. Help our listeners understand physiologically as a doctor what's happening that your body's craving the drugs and then emotionally how you deal with that addiction. And obviously you've talked a little bit about it, but tell us from a doctor's perspective. Sure. It, it's funny to hear you reading my words back. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. You know, it was a tremendous amount of work, but, but that's, you know, that's what we'll do to get that which will satisfy our appetites. And it's not always just drugs, of course. It can be, you know, sex or food or whatever we might be addicted to. But, yeah, we'll, we'll go to great lengths. We'll go to obscene lengths to justify and and uh, to attain that, that which we really want. So, so and to answer the question, I think physiologically, you know, when, when we take the drug, it acts on um, receptors in our brain that when we stimulate those receptors, uh, make, uh, make us feel euphoric. They make us feel fantastic. We just have this this, you know, uh, this wonderful feeling of well-being. As, as exposure to the drug uh, increases, those, your brain down-regulates or decreases those receptors. So you require more and more of the drug to get the same feeling. Well, uh, eventually you, you run out of supply or whatever, you know, you become physically dependent on this thing, and, and then when the supply stops, your brain has become adapted to this drug, and you take the drug away. And then all of a sudden, without any stimulus whatsoever, you're in tremendous pain, and you feel terrible. This is withdrawal. This is this is horrible. This is sweats and aches and pains and vomiting and just feeling terrible. So the only thing that will satisfy, you know, the, the physical craving at that point is the drug. Now that's that, that's the physiologic, you know, experience. You know, what happens practically is that is that the drug comes to you know control you. You set out to you know use the drug, but again, the drug uses you, becoming as I said, it becomes 
becomes your God more important than anything else. Um, that you know, the drug practically became the most important thing. Though I knew that was not what I wanted. That that was what became my reality. Sure. And um, how how long, it, Scott, did you struggle with the addiction? How long was it? And and then you know, once you broke free, how did you break free? Because it sounds like a horribly vicious circle for people. Yeah, that's. Um, that's a bit of a, a layered question. I'll try to not ramble too much to give you the answer, but, uh, you know, I, I think I've struggled with addiction my whole life, or maybe not to drugs, but, you know, I will always find food, sex, and drugs to be uh, pleasurable as long as I live, and, I, and as long as I live in this body, I don't think that, you know, pizza is going to taste bad or the sex is going to feel bad or the drugs are going to feel bad. But, you know, to be specific regarding drugs, it's been, you know, it's been 15 to 20 years on and off, and I, I don't consider that struggle to be once and for all done. I think I could easily return, you know, Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 6, um, 7, and 8, he talks about how, uh, you know, whatever we sow, that we reap. If we sow from the flesh, we'll reap corruption. If we sow from the Spirit, we'll reap life. And and I, I sowed from the flesh, and I harvested this crop of disaster. And, and it took that disaster uh, to get me to the point where I was willing to change. I lost my job. I had to leave the ER where I'd been for 12 years. I nearly lost my family. Um, you know, I, I unfortunately require pain or some tangible need to make me realize how desperate I am for God. Hmm. Um, I, I don't do it perfectly now, but but now every day I have to, I must. So the seeds of God's Spirit in me, uh, I daily have to be in the Word, grounding myself in Him, abiding in the vine, you know, abiding in Christ to grow that life in me. Not not because I gain or lose my salvation every day, but just practically I need to pursue God so I don't pursue me. Exactly. Oh, I love that, Scott. And that makes sense as to where you've come up with the title of this great blog, The Seeds of the Spirit. So how is a relationship with Jesus instrumental in keeping a recovering addict free? Um, you've talked about what you're doing. You're staying close to God. But say that I'm somebody out there who's got an alcohol addiction, and I don't really know much about Jesus, and I'm sick of myself. What What am I going to do? How is Jesus helping you? Yeah, you know, I would say, what What do you want, and how bad do you want it? And are you willing to do what it takes to get there? And, and when a person's there, then they're pretty easy to talk to. And I, and I just say, look, for me, God was the only adequate replacement to the problem of me. You know, I, I am always going to pursue meaning, joy, pleasure in something. And I, and I can pursue it in me, in the immediate uh, gratification of my own flesh nature, which usually leads to some level of destruction. In the case of an addiction alcohol, that destruction is obvious. It's not always so obvious with every defect. Uh, you know, or I can pursue joy, meaning, and purpose where I was meant to, where I was created to in God. And, it, and it's only because of Jesus' sacrificial death that I can know God and I can live in this profoundly satisfying relationship that I was meant to. That's so great. I just want to ask a question from the angle of a wife. So as I said, I was, you know, formerly married to a drug addict and that was his goal. It was just always about, you know, the money doing what he needed to do. I, we didn't understand. It was very easy for me to be um, just exasperated with the addiction and just want to give up. So how did your wife do it? How did she stick through it? I mean, what made a difference for her? Uh, you, you maybe should ha- uh, have her on the show. <laughs> I can do that, that, yes. Uh, she, would, she would be great at this. But, um, uh, you know, it, it was tough, right? So so day one was, um, you know, where the doctor's group. And that was appropriate. I mean, at that point, this, this okay, I, I, I didn't tell the whole story. This was not the first time I'd been through outpatient treatment before. And okay. and so like, like you, you know, the struggle was not just once and done. It, it went on for a while. Um, and so, you know, day one, when life, when life absolutely fell apart, this was three years ago now when life fell apart, um, you know, we're done. And that's where we started. Uh, 
I went to treatment, and you know, she, we had kids, and she, at the, you know, at the beginning, was I'm I'm sticking this out for the kids. Uh, in retrospect, I think she would say the only thing that saved the marriage was that I was willing to do whatever it took to turn my life around, sure. and she needed to see that, right? Right. Uh, she, you know, you know, she needed to see not not one week of, of sobriety, not not a month of sobriety, mm-hmm. but you know, six months of, of radical life change. Because yep. the greatest yeah. defect in my life was not drug use. The greatest defect in my life was pursuing me. Sure. And and if, and if the only thing that went away was the drug use, she would say, you're still, you know, pursuing you and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and I know it's going to go right back to where we were. And so she had right. to see pretty radical change in my life that I was now. And again, I do not do this perfect. I still have, I still have pretty significant defects. But, but she, needed, she needed to see and still yeah. needs to see, you know, just this, this persistent life change that, Right. This is no longer right. about pursuing me every day. This is about trying to do what I think God wants me to be. And that, trying to do what God wants me to do and be who God wants me to be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me because um, that was this, the one thing that we just couldn't get as a family. We could not get that turnaround um, and a willingness to walk away from the drugs. So, you know, after the last year, it was a me or it. and I And I lost, you know, and it was sad, but... That's sometimes how it goes. I'm glad that you won. I'm so thankful for that, that you are striving to beat this every day. And I think it's important for people to know that um, when you do have a personality that's, you know, kind of willing to fall into addiction, as you said, whether it's shopping or food or sex or alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, that a person is willing to admit this really is about me and not, you know, people don't really look at the full picture. How is it affecting other people? So it's that selfish kind of a behavior. I'm so proud of you, Scott, that you're working on that, that you're aware of it and that you guys are, you know, a difference. You're making a difference. You're a great example for us. So what's one last thing that you can share to encourage our listeners who are struggling with addiction or, you know, maybe married to someone like that or have, you know, a daughter or a grandchild, like, involved in, in addiction. Sure, and, and you don't have to be, you know, a classical drug addict to understand we're, we all have something. You know, we all struggle with anger, pride, uh, you know, pornography, mm-hmm. food, uh, the need for affirmation, some other defect of a flesh life. Sure. You know, even, even, and I don't mean to include depression, anxiety, and addiction, but even those things can lead to destructive behaviors. That's right. And, you know, in our struggle, we all have probably been at that point where we wonder, you know, where is God? If, if I am a new creature in Christ, why don't I feel like it? What's wrong with me? Where's God in this? And yeah. and we need to realize that that even though we've come to Christ, we have we have this new spirit life in us. We carry that in this defective flesh. And as long as we're in this body, we we are going to have you know this conflict. We don't have to live enslaved to our defects, but we are always going to live under the influence of some of them. So my job daily is to do, as Christ said, to do whatever it takes to deny self and follow Him. And that and that's that is not a small command. That is a there's a radical life to say, I'm going to turn for myself and, and follow follow Christ. That's so that's right. hopefully what the yeah. blog does. It started out as just a, a chronicle or a journal of, of, of my walk of trying to do that every day, and now it's, you know, it's blossoming into this public thing. I just I hope it's helpful to others to see what I'm going through and my honesty of going through you know, addiction and, and how that can relate to them. Absolutely, and I think it's an incredible help. I know it's been an incredible encouragement to my spirit as the ex-wife of an addict, um, and I, I don't have that right now with um, the fabulous Farmer Dean. He's not perfect, um, but it's a different life. And and so I'm so grateful for um, the piece that you're playing, actually, in helping me to let go of anger and bitterness and try to understand from somebody, you know, from a perspective where you're 
talking about, you know, what happened and how God brought you out of it. So thank you, Scott, for being on the show today. I know this is really a difficult topic. I know this was hard to talk about, but thank you so much. And I, we really appreciate it. And I want to, again, listeners direct you to this incredible blog. It's called theseedsofthespirit.com. And it's Dr. Scott Abrams that you're listening to. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Kathy. Listeners, maybe you're in a place where you don't want to admit that you have a problem. Maybe you're denying it, hiding it, or hoping that you'll wake up and it will be gone. As humans, we all fail. As humans, we all sin. But as humans, we need a Savior. Jesus Christ died for that sin. He knows that we can't conquer our sinful desires by ourselves alone. We need His help. But how can we do it? Where do we start? Well, listen to the words of this song by Jason Castro called Stay This Way and see if God's beginning to speak to your heart today. Are you right in the place where you don't want to be? Got your heart in the hands of an enemy. I promise you. I've been there, I've been there too. Have you tried but you
Did you hear those words? You can stand with your head held high, my friend, because the God of creation has made you innocent. I promise, I promise that you are new, forgiven. You can start today. You might think it's gone on too long, too far. It's too bad. It's too hard. But you can start this minute, and you're going to need support and help. There are all kinds of places that will help you in your journey, places like Teen Challenge or even in a neighboring town to us, Wilbur, Minnesota, a place called The Fortress. If you're someone who's struggling with being married to an addict or your parent is one, you need help as well. There are counseling centers everywhere. Here are some steps to helping you in addiction. Number one, admit your need for help. Number two, see your problem as a problem. Three, don't blame others for your behavior. Four, confess that God is your only way out. Five, know that willpower alone can't help you. Six, stay away from triggers and temptation. Seven, remove other addicts and troubled people from your life. Eight, find spiritual counseling and help break patterns. Nine, choose to change. Ten, make a daily decision to remain free. Listen to what scripture says about receiving help from God through Jesus to break chains. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. John 8.36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 5.13 and 14, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command— Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no room for guilt. There's only room for you to start to work to be set free. Partner with Jesus Christ. Confess your sins. Get help. Tell people you need help. Seek help and keep on track. God is with you. Let me pray with you today. Dear Jesus, help us to stride freely through wide open spaces, seeking you, your knowledge, your forgiveness, your freedom. Because we know that the truth will set us free, and that truth is the work you did on the cross for us. Help us be guilt-free. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes, and please give us a favorable review so that other people can listen to the show and enjoy it as well. For more encouragement and hope, log on to our website at bestlifeministries.com. And for more information about me, you can log on to kathyweckworth.com. Hey, thanks for being with us today. And until next time, I encourage you to go out and be your best. best life, help open you.